On Tuesday, the New York Times ran an essay by transgender woman Meredith Russo, a person who was born a man, about how terrible it feels to have to use a bathroom corresponding to his birth gender. Russo writes about how he felt he should be able to use the female restroom at work despite his penis. Here's his tale of woe. Quote, things went well at first, with co-workers taking it in stride and customers reading my voice as female. But then one of my bosses demanded to speak with me. She wanted to talk about bathrooms. Have you had the surgery, she asked. Have you ever talked about your genitals with a superior at work? It's not exactly a party. I told her no. Well, then, you'll have to use the men's until you do. We can't risk a lawsuit. I headed to the men's room where I waited for a solitary stall to open up. I considered going all punk rock, hiking up my skirt at a urinal and flipping off any man who looked at me funny. But there is probably no meeker creature on earth than a newly transitioned woman. The man who emerged from the stall looked at me as if I were a jug of spoiled milk. Some insisted that I was in the wrong place until they realized what I was and got really angry. It got so bad that I stopped going to the bathroom at work altogether and developed urinary tract infections. So then I stopped drinking water before and during work. Okay, first off, half of high school students avoid going to the bathroom because they don't like the risks they run in going to the bathroom at high schools. I, I did this in middle school, okay? And that's not because I was transgender. It's because all the weirdos hung out in the bathroom. Second, Meredith doesn't specify how such anger by other people manifested. What did these evil, horrible men do to him aside from looking at him kind of weird? Was he assaulted? If so, why didn't he go to the police? Was he harassed? If so, why didn't he go to management? And if the company was so terribly discriminatory, why did it continue to employ him despite his transgenderism? But most importantly, Meredith feels he should have been able to saunter on over to the ladies' bathroom where he would have been treated with more dignity. Except, presumably... Women wouldn't feel any better about seeing Meredith there than men did. Indeed, some women would feel a lot more threatened. If Meredith didn't like being sneered at by men who saw him as a mentally ill person, Meredith probably wouldn't like it much more when women shied away from him in the women's room. But the notion here in the end is that only Meredith's feelings matter. Men must be expected not to do a double take when a dude in a dress walks into a bathroom. Women must be expected to get used to men in dresses walking into their bathrooms. Reality must always adjust to the transgender person the transgender person must never adjust to reality. In the end, happy ending, Meredith ended up getting a book contract to write about transgenderism, enabling him to use the bathroom at home. He wrote, quote, that doesn't mean it's still not an issue when I have to use a public restroom. The fear is still there, that someone will take offense, get angry and attack me, that I'll be made to leave a business, that I'll be accused of sexual misconduct, arrested, sent to men's jail. That's the main thing I wish the supporters of these laws would realize. We are much more frightened of you than you are of us. Meredith doesn't provide any evidence or account of being physically attacked by other men. This would be a felony in most jurisdictions and perhaps even a federal hate crime. Meredith doesn't explain why, at the risk of jailing or being held suspect for sexual harassment, he would continue to try to pee next to the ladies. Most of all, Meredith doesn't explain why it's incumbent on everyone in society to embrace the lie that men are women, indoctrinate their children in that same damaging lie, and avoid treating serious mental illness, all to avoid making a few individuals uncomfortable. But Meredith is the only person we're supposed to care about. Women are on their own. Men are the bad guys, even if they don't actually do anything terrible. The realm of feelings requires no actual evidence. Feelings, feelings, uber alles. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So, first of all, a couple quick reminders. Number one, you need to go to Daily Wire right now, and you need to subscribe to this podcast. Just subscribe. Become a subscriber at Daily Wire. You can see... My podcast in full living color. See this beautiful punim and check out Andrew Clavens as well. And he's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of human male anatomy. So you're going to want to check 
Clavin out for sure. So go to go to dailywire.com, check that out. It's 30 days for free. Um, and uh, and it does enhance the the show experience because otherwise, how would you know I'm naked right now? But aside from that, aside from that, uh, if you if you subscribe, then and then you go and you subscribe, then you get first pick in the mailbag. And we do have the vaunted Ben Shapiro show mailbag tomorrow. And so we will look forward to reading the emails from our subscribers tomorrow. Okay, so yesterday we talked about the left trolling the right into oblivion. Today, it's pretty clear why people are voting for Donald Trump. And the reason a lot of people are voting for Donald Trump, and I have sympathies for, for this, the reason a lot of people are voting for Donald Trump or backing Donald Trump is because the people who oppose Donald Trump on the left are out of their damn minds, out of their gourds, they're crazy, they're chaotic, and they're trying to recreate a really terrible period in American history that they still celebrate as something wonderful. So yesterday, Trump is speaking in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and a bunch of anti-Trump protesters show up, and here is what it looked like. Okay, so what you can see happening here is lines of cops and people burning things and people with masks setting things on fire. Now they're taking now they're taking objects on fire and throwing them at the cops. It's not full scale Ferguson here, but it ain't good. Screaming and yelling is pretty normal, but people there with Mexican flags. So that's one piece of tape. And then here, here's another piece of tape. A bunch of protesters holding Mexican flags, storming the barricades that are supposed to protect the people going to this Trump rally from all of the, from all of the protesters. And you can see signs in the crowd that say things like, no racist, fascist pigs. And you can see Mexican flags in the crowd. Uh, and, and here's what it looked like. Seeing all of these folks try to basically run into the building where Trump is holding his rally, and they're they're breaking through barricades to do it. It's not supremely violent yet, but it did get pretty violent. It did get pretty bad. People are throwing stones at folks, um, and uh, and you can you can see what happened a little bit later in the evening. Protesters started jumping on cop cars, for example. So here's what that looked like. It's ago, there we see uh, uh, some protesters walking on and jumping on. Police cars, uh, some applauding there, and then running down the street Geniuses. Uh, as the police uh, presumably uh, started pursuing them. And uh, CNN correspondent Dan Simon was reporting from the scene, and uh, and here's what he saw. This is this is late last night. We're keeping a close eye on the situation, Wolf. You can see that there's some kind of uh, explosive device right in front of us. We're going to move... We're moving back, Wolf. You can see the smoke. I don't know if this is a flash grenade that police have just set off or if this is from the protesters, uh, but you can see that things now are steadily eroding. We're going to move back a little bit, Wolf. You can see uh, the smoke. Now lots of protesters are throwing rocks at police. This has now descended into chaos as we're moving back. Okay, so you can see it's a bad situation. 
These protesters are picking up rocks. It, it looks the like it's tear gas. Is it tear We're gas still over there, Dan? The situation, Wolf. And it's it's a, it's probably it is definitely 15 to 20 not tear protesters gas. who are chucking rocks at the cops. Uh, some type of uh, smoke or flash grenade. Not quite sure exactly what it was. We're okay. It's it's pretty tense out here, but uh, you you get the sense that things could uh, become even uh, uglier uh, as things continue to unfold. Police, uh, uh, I would say, still showing some restraint. You can see them back there behind the barricades. Yeah, and the cops are basically really letting it go. So engaged. this is what it looked like on CNN. On Fox News, Carl Cameron was reporting from the same scene, and, and he said he actually heard shots fired. Potential riot. Uh, there is tear gas uh, in the parking lot as we speak. Earlier in the evening, demonstrators outside tried to break their way into the building, trying to knock down a door. They were unsuccessful in that. There was rock throwing, name calling, and a lot of scuffles. At one point, there was a shot fired. There was a bullet uh, that shattered a glass window of this facility. At one point, uh, a vendor with Trump t-shirts and hats had his table overturned, and someone tried to set that on fire. At another time, there was fire, quote, thrown at some of the mounted police who were trying to control the crowd. Uh, this has gotten particularly nasty and is still ongoing. Uh, most of the people inside the building aren't being let out because of the tear gas just a few moments ago. So it's good times all the way through. And, uh, and they're rioting and they're, they're creating chaos. It's not full-scale Ferguson rioting. It's not full-scale Baltimore rioting, but it's ugly. I mean, this is just a political rally. I mean, this is not even, you know, in, in protest of, of something terrible happening. This is, this is just, this isn't in protest of supposed police cruelty. This is a guy they don't like is talking in a place. And so they showed up and started throwing things. One of the Bernie Sanders supporters who, who showed up to protest this, she explained why there was all this violence in Albuquerque. She's on CNN. Here's what she had to say. That was the whole beginning of the protest. There's families out there. We were having fun. You know, it was, it was stop Trump's hate with love. And then um, quickly, once the Trump supporters started coming in, and you see a Trump supporter, you know, you Go ahead. I know we've got a lot of. Sorry. Sorry. Um, um, you know, you're you're useless. Go to school. Get a job. When I went there with my brother and four of my friends who work 40 hours a week while going to school, and this is the idea they have of us because they're fed this idea by Trump. And honestly, I don't blame them because, in my opinion, Trump is a narcissistic, powerful, rich, sociopathic person, and it's easy for them to for him to use his uh, their fears to manipulate them. Okay, so in other words, what she's saying is they said that we should go get a job and find something better to do with our time. Certainly true. And she and, and then they rioted. So their response to you're wasting your time and making bad decisions with your life is I'll throw rocks at the cops. That's that that's the that's the great response. Now, a couple of things are, are happening here. One is that the the anti Trump folks on the left are out of their minds. I'm again, I'm as anti Trump as anybody is on the right. You don't see me out in the streets throwing rocks at Trump supporters because I'm not a nutcase. Okay, I, I didn't do it to Hillary Clinton supporters. Violence in the name of your politics is not appropriate in a civilized society. Okay, it just isn't. But nonetheless, this is what the left is now engaged in, and the left is poo-pooing it too. So Chris Matthews on MSNBC, he's talking about this at MSNBC, and he's saying, well, "It's not so bad. Look at that. Is killed? Nobody's getting killed. This isn't terrible. What's, what's the problem? I don't understand." Well, we continue to cover the protests there in the streets. I don't think they're that violent. Anyway, let's bring in Robert Costa of the Washington Post. He's covering the Trump campaign and he's gotten used to the pattern of things. How do we assess the extent to which Trump is uh, igniting these kinds of things by the locations he's uh, selecting? Okay, and then this is 
perfect example of what the left does, right? They, they, this is what they do. So they bl- they're the ones who are causing the violence, and they're out there blaming Trump. Okay, it's not Trump's fault that people are coming and protesting him and yelling at him and throwing rocks at him or at the cops. What did the cops do to deserve any of this? And when I spoke at Cal State LA and there was a near riot there, what did I, I, I don't like Trump. I don't, I don't say the same things that Trump does. Didn't matter. There's still an almost riot there. People were getting pushed around in the crowd. It was pretty much as bad as this, what you're watching here. I mean, some people in the room right now were there and they understand how bad it was. What, was that my fault or was it the fault of the protesters and the administration for letting it go forward and the fault of the, pro, uh, of the professors for incentivizing it? But Chris Matthews, oh, it's not that bad. I don't say anything that's that terrible. Chris Matthews is the same guy who says that, that Donald Trump protesters are routinely punching people on the other side. Okay, you can't have it both ways. I think that Trump does incentivize his followers to utilize violence. I also think that the people on the left do the same and in worse ways in many cases. But the left poo-poos it when it comes from them. And just as another example, last night at DePaul College this is in Illinois, a guy named Milo Yiannopoulos, who we've talked about on the show before. I'm not a big Milo fan because he's an alt-right guy. But Milo has every right to speak on a campus, just as anybody else does. Big Trump guy, big alt-right guy, um, and he's speaking on, on college campuses. He's a provocateur, acknowledges that he's a provocateur. So he goes to the campuses, and the Black Lives Matter protesters show up, and here's what that looks like. I mean... Hello, darling. Sir, please. Sir, sir, please. Sir, please. We'd like to ask you to please. Sir, please. Can we ask you to stop, please? Sir. Okay, so it gets pretty radical and weird. So for people who can't see what's going on, Milo is sitting up there, and we can pause it. Milo, Milo's sitting up there on, on the right, and Milo, as this tour has gone on, has, has started wearing more stereotypically gay outfits each and every out, outing. Um, and he's sitting up there, and he had kind of a cut-off T-shirt wearing a, a pearl bracelet of some sort. Uh, and, uh, and, the, and across from him is sitting a, a college Republican guy who's interviewing him, and before they can even start, a couple of Black Lives Matter people jump up on stage. One is a well-dressed young black guy, and one is a not very well-dressed young black gal. And she jumps up there and grabs the microphone away from one of the college Republican guys and starts screaming into it. And then she goes over to Milo and basically screams in his face and looks like she might kind of try to hit him, but not really, but it looks like she might. And it's certainly, it's not battery, but it's certainly assault, right? I mean, she's certainly threatening him. Um, and she's up there and apparently... As this event went on, like 15 of the Black Lives Matter people crowd the stage, start screaming, take out whistles, are whistling into the microphones. And the security, who were mandated by the school, they're just sitting to the side letting all of this happen. So very much like what happened at Cal State LA, um, except uh, maybe slightly, well, significantly less violent, but still really bad stuff. So people look at this stuff. Here's the deal. People look at this stuff, and they feel like the Democrats are embracing chaos. And the reason they feel like the Democrats are embracing chaos is because the Democrats are embracing chaos. Democrats like chaos. For the left, most people are defined by a certain time in their life. You know, 
it, it, it's weird the way that time works in our lives. We, we tend to think of ourselves as a certain age, right? I'm 32 years old right now, but I always, no matter what, tend to think of myself as about 18 or 19 because that's when I was in college. So I tend to think of myself as that age. Most people have an age they think of themselves at, you know, as my parents. If I ask my parents, what age do you think of yourself at? They probably think of themselves as 30, right? Young parents. And that's how they think of themselves, even though they're now 60. Well, for Democrats, the age they think of, Republicans think of themselves as 1980s, right? Big, booming economy, strong national defense, Ronald Reagan era, and 1950s in terms of traditional sexual morality, right? Not in terms of segregation, obviously, but in terms of traditional sexual morality. Democrats always think it's 1968. This was the period, this was their formational period. This is the time when the Democrats became who the Democrats wanted to be. Not John F. Kennedy, not FDR, Abby Hoffman and rioting in 1968 at the Democratic National Convention and riots in, in, in Detroit and riots on college campuses. They, they worship this period. This is the period when they became who they were and they see themselves as the great heroes of this period. If you talk to them about the 60s, most Americans think of the 60s as a time of chaos and turmoil and tragedy, the killing of major figures like MLK, the destruction of the American military in the, in the Vietnam War, the destruction of the American traditional lifestyle on the shoals of feminism and the gay rights movement, the, the destruction of, of traditional notions of making your way in the world on the, on the heels of, of the government welfare system. You know, all of this has tremendously negative ramifications for America, including the rise of single motherhood and the rise of crime and the destruction of the notion America is here to do good in the world and the, and the destruction of the concept of America in our own heads, which we'll get to a little bit later. The left sees this as a great period because this was the period when they were finally able to break free of the restraints of traditional Americanism, and they love it. So we need to flash back to 1968 and understand Democrats today are trying, they're trying to recreate 1968, the period when they felt most alive, the period when they felt most useful, and they've taught their kids and their grandkids or somebody else's kids and grandkids most likely that this was a great period, and if you really want to do something meaningful with your life, it has to be just like 1968. Just a flashback, this is what it looked like in 1968 when there was an actual riot at the Democratic National Convention, which, by the way, Bernie Sanders is now threatening at the next national convention. So violence gets worse and worse over the course of the week. Fighting the cops, throwing rocks at cops. No, this was happening in 1968. 400 people treated injuries from mace and tear gas. So it's so things get really ugly at the 68 convention. This was a good time to the left. The left liked this, right? The Detroit riots in 1967. Understand, Detroit at this time was not a poor city. Detroit in 1967 was one, maybe the best place in America for black people to live. Seriously, like there are surveys of this. Black people had the highest per capita income anywhere in America in Detroit. They rioted anyway because the left was saying that there was too much racial animus for that ever to be bridged over with normal movement. So this is what it looked like in Detroit in 1967. And you'll see it looks very much like Ferguson today or Baltimore today, both places that President Obama has been pushing as sort of forerunners and, and at the forefront of the American civil rights movement. Here's what it looked like back in 1967. 1967 was the third summer of the burning and looting of the black ghetto. This was Newark in July. In Newark, for the last time, we could still tell ourselves that the old answers would work. 
In York, Negroes were angry about the old evils, bad schools, police brutality, bad housing, lack of political power. We could still comfort ourselves in York that at least we understood the problem. Rocks and bottles were thrown. And shortly after six o'clock, the first store was broken into by the crowd. Okay, so we can stop it here. So this is the same sort of thing. And you can hear NBC News is covering this now, right? This is sort of retrospective. This is a couple of years after, after Detroit. Uh, and you can hear how they like it, right? We understand that it's all the old problems, police brutality, cruelty, nastiness. And then they go right into people robbing stores. Okay, robbing stores has nothing to do with protesting police brutality. But for the left, they look at Ferguson and Baltimore. They say exactly the same things now they said back in 1967 when this was happening. The left yearns for this period. They yearn for it, which is why they're constantly trying to say Republicans want to take us back to the 50s because they can. then they can say when we want to go back to 68, well, at least 68 was after 50, right? In order to get back to 1968, they have to go back before 1968 and then say that's where we are, and now we need a 1968-type corrective for that. Same thing at Berkeley. Berkeley had riots in 1970. These riots, by the way, were ended by Governor Ronald Reagan literally rolling tanks into the center of Berkeley. Here's what it looked like at Berkeley in 1970, and this was not rare. Right, there they are smashing windows on cars and overturning cars. All these hippie students. Right, does this look a lot like what was happening in New Mexico? Yeah, it does. They're really doing worthwhile things in the world, turning over cars. They took over student administration buildings and occupied them. And you can hear the music. This is produced by people who think these were great moments in American history. Right, this is a good thing. And, it's, and this is typical on college campuses. We can stop that. So the left is seeking to recreate all of this. Note for note, they're seeking to recreate this. They want the riots at the convention again because it makes them feel young and special. And they want the, they want the riots in the inner cities because it makes them feel racially justified. And they want the riots on campus because it makes them feel that they're striking back against some sort of intellectual authority. And so the big question is, at least in the 1960s, you could argue bad crap was happening. Right? I mean, the Vietnam War was in full swing. Whether you liked it or didn't like it, it was at least controversial. You could at least argue that there was a legacy of racism that had ended, or at least they were trying to end, like three years before. I mean, when you're having a race riot in 1967, and the Civil Rights Act of 64 is only a couple years old, you can at least say, okay, Jim Crow is still, they're still fighting Jim Crow. Okay, maybe, although not in Detroit, obviously, because there was no Jim Crow in Detroit. Right? When, when you say on college campuses, that was a lot less justified generally, because there wasn't really anything wrong with the college campuses. But what's wrong now? What's wrong now? Transgender bathrooms? Like, why are you rioting? And the answer is, the answer is, and I've read this, this quote before, young people constantly need a feeling of community movement. They want to feel like they're part of a battle and like they're part of a movement that's going to go to battle. That's what they want to feel like. It's why Trump is sucking people in on the right the same way that Bernie Sanders is sucking people in on the left. Everybody, young and old, wants to feel like they're part of a movement, but this is particularly true of young people in their first flush of vigor who, who feel like, okay, now we can change the world if we just stand together, who feel like controlling the, the problems of the world is only us getting together, us unifying away. Right? If we just held hands and sang kumbaya, everything would be all better. This goes all the way back to the beginning. I mean, this goes all the way back to the beginning of time, and it, it's been true forever. George Orwell wrote this about the Nazi movement in 1940. Right? Here's what he wrote. He was talking about why young people fall into the trap of following Hitler. He said, nearly all Western thought since the last war Certainly all progressive thought has assumed tacitly that human beings desire nothing beyond ease, 
security, and avoidance of pain. In such a view of life, there is no room, for instance, for patriotism and the military virtues. Hitler, because in his own joyless mind he feels it with exceptional strength, knows that human beings don't only want comfort, safety, short working hours, hygiene, birth control, and in general common sense. They also, at least intermittently, want struggle and self-sacrifice, not to mention drums, flags, and loyalty parades. And that's what's happening. People feel the need to be part of a movement. Now, it used to be in America that this need to be part of a movement was filled by your social clubs. It was filled by the fact that you went to church with people and you worshiped with people and you did charity with people, right? That, that was the idea, was that we had that in common. So if you're part of a mass movement, you're part of a mass religious movement, people trying to do good for the world without tearing things down. But when you get rid of that, when you say to young people, okay, we're not going to get together to worship God and understand the cosmic justice of the universe. Instead, we're going to get together to change the world. And the way we're going to change the world is by tearing down the structure. It's very seductive to a lot of people, and that's what you're seeing happen. So the predictable result of all of this is the people fall right into Trumpism, right? I mean, because I look at this stuff and I go, okay, I'm, whoever is these, who's not these people, I'm, I'm with him, right? And this is what happened in 1968. In 1968, the Republicans nominated Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was wildly unpopular then. Okay, nobody liked Richard Nixon in 1968. He's already been unpopular enough in 1960 to come off of the Eisenhower presidency and lose to John F. Kennedy, right? So he, he lost to John F. Kennedy. He disappeared from politics, kind of like Newt Gingrich for a while. And then he came back in 1968 and he, get, and he wins the nomination. And so you have this wildly unpopular Republican with no sense of real, with no sense of real kindness about him, you know, a very harsh guy, Nixon, at least in the public eye. And you have Nixon out there, and, he, and he's fighting against the Democrats who are tearing apart the country, and he looks like a safe, good alternative. Okay, Donald Trump is not a very stable individual, just generally speaking. But when you put him up next to these folks, he looks a lot more stable. You put him up next to the people who are throwing rocks and bottles at the cops, and he's saying, I stand with the cops. And people say, okay, okay, and, and, this, is, and this is what you see from Trump. So here is, so Donald Trump, he's slamming the thugs who are at the rally. Here's what he tweeted. He said, the protesters in New Mexico were thugs who were flying the Mexican flag. The rally inside was big and beautiful, but outside, criminals, exclamation point. So put aside the typical Trumpian syntax here. What these protesters are doing for Trump is justifying everything that he says. So he says that Mexico is shipping in criminals, so, so the response of people who are against his immigration policy are to fly the Mexican flag while throwing bottles and rocks at the cops. Right? Th these are criminals. These are criminals with an exclamation point. And Trump is right. Now, Trump continued on along these lines. He says that the war veterans, there are a bunch of war veterans, apparently, who showed up to protest Trump. And he said these people were all paid by Hillary Clinton. Yesterday, we had pickets in front of Trump Tower. And they were vets. Not a lot of them. Very few, just so you understand. And I said, I don't understand. In fact, I was going to go out and talk to him. I said, I don't understand. How can the vets pick at Trump Tower? How can they do that? I raised millions of dollars. How could they pick at Trump Tower? And I didn't understand it, but the time went by and they left and that was the end. And then today they did a story that the vets were put there by Hillary Clinton. Crooked Hillary Clinton put the vets there. She is so crooked. She put the vets there. That's how they went. That's how that, that I, I'm wondering all day. I never even thought of it. The good news is that one of the papers, the media, found out that Hillary Clinton was involved, crooked Hillary, and she is as crooked as you get, believe me. Just read the book, read the book. That she was involved with putting the vets, and now I say, oh, I understand it. It's called, welcome to the terrible world of politics. 
Okay, so he says that Hillary is paying off all of these people to picket outside of Trump Tower. And this was reported by the Daily Beast that, that, that Hillary had basically set up the Veterans Against Trump protest. But none, but the, the sentiment is, okay, you know, if these are the people who are against Trump, then I'm for Trump, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. If these are the people who are against Trump, then I'm pro-Trump. And Trump continues to, to play this game and play it well. So Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, she comes out and she calls Donald Trump a small, insecure money grubber. This is her new, her new attack on Trump. She says he's a bad guy. He's a small, insecure money grubber. And Donald Trump promptly knocks her into next week. Right? Donald Trump responds by tweeting out, Goofy Elizabeth Warren, sometimes known as Pocahontas, bought foreclosed housing and made a quick killing. Total hypocrite. This is exactly right. She made a bunch of money, apparently, by buying some foreclosed housing, flipping it and selling it. Right. And so she's ripping on Donald Trump for for being uncaring and a money grubber and all this. So th this is why people like Trump, because Trump fights. Right. This is the idea. Trump fights and Trump's people fight. So Trump has a surrogate out there and his surrogate is out there making the case that Hillary isn't fit because even Bill can't stand Hillary. I've heard people say, I don't know who to choose, Trump or Hillary. Even Bill Clinton chose other women. So you should too. Okay, so I mean that's that's a line that I'm not sure is, is advisable for a presidential campaign, but it is it is funny. But but he so so the idea is Trump never stops fighting. It's always a fight, right? It's always a war. It's always a fight. He's a hammer in search of a nail. Same thing with Ed Rendell. So Ed Rendell is the former mayor of Philadelphia. Ed Rendell uh, he came out and he said that, that Donald Trump is going to do badly with women because Donald Trump obviously has a preference for good-looking women, and America is filled with ugly women. This is what Ed Rendell said. He's a Democrat. So Donald Trump comes back with this. I've learned, don't even joke a little bit. You know, don't even joke a little bit. You know, Ed Rendell, okay, the, he was the mayor of Philadelphia. He's a big, big Hillary Clinton supporter. Okay. Think of this. I was so angry when I heard him say this. But Ed Rendell... Big, big women love, and I love women. Shout it out, shout it out. She said, women love you. I love women. Okay. But Ed Rendell, one of Hillary Clinton's biggest supporters, said that half the women in the United States, something to this effect, half the women in the United States are ugly. Nobody even talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Can you imagine if I made that statement? It would be the electric chair. And I don't believe that either, by the way. But he made that statement. Okay, he and said, I said, oh, he said, you don't even hear about it. Okay, first you of all, first of all Trump, I mean, Trump believes significantly more than half of the American female population is ugly. Okay, he thinks Heidi Cruz is ugly. Okay, I'm going to go with at least 75% at least of women in the United States are less good looking than Heidi Cruz. Is that fair? I think that's relatively fair. She's not an ugly woman by any stretch of the imagination. She's like a normal looking gal, Heidi Cruz. I mean, just on age, on age alone, you know, the idea that Donald Trump thinks that all women are beautiful. I, whenever Donald Trump says, I love women, all I can flash to is just him with his bikini models. I mean, that, because that's really w what women he loves. But in any case, Donald Trump says all this and you go, OK, he's fighting. He's fighting. Look at how terrible these people are. He's facing. He's fighting. So I got a couple emails last night um, and this isn't the mailbag, but I couple, got a couple emails saying exactly the same thing. So this guy named Mitchell, he writes to me, he says, I'm a conservative. But the Milo Yiannopoulos incident at DePaul, we played the, the tape a few minutes ago, was the straw that broke the camel's back. Conservatism has failed. Small government and constitutional liberties are being self-censored by normal citizens of America. Conservative principles haven't delivered year after year broken promises. It's all the same. The right needs to get it beat into their heads that this is a war. 
That's why conservatism is going to fail, because it isn't willing to get in the gutter and do what is necessary to preserve its way of life. F it. I'd rather have a tough guy in my corner than a prep school P-word. Tired, sad, desperate, frankly. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things. First of all, conservatism didn't fail. Civility failed. Civility failed, right? The ideas of a conservatism, nothing says conservatism has to be polite. Nothing says conservatism has to be about kowtowing to these people, right? You can say exactly, I, listen, I'm very conservative. I have said things much harsher about protesters than Donald Trump has said. Go watch my speech at Cal State LA and tell me I'm a conservative, okay? I'm saying things about protesters that Trump wouldn't dream of saying. And, and that's, I'm, I'm, so it's not conservatism that has failed. It's civility that's failed. I agree, civility has failed. The problem is people have identified civility with conservatism for so long because there's this, this, this sort of Russell Kirk idea as a philosopher who says that conservatism is essentially about conserving civility and the social fabric as opposed to conserving small government and basic conservative philosophy. When you believe that, of course you think conservatism fails and you just go for the guy who's in a rusty knife fight. Got this one from Dustin, same sort of notion. I'm now at the point where I feel I must vote for Trump. I hate Trump. I hate the protesters I saw at CSULA and DePaul. I want to shove Trump down their throats. People need a way to collectively fight those fascists. If there was a conservative wave organizing against these awful people, I'd jump into that. Right now, the only ones fighting are those who chant Trump at the fascists. It's all very upsetting. Hopefully, you can change my mind and give me a better idea. So I am working on this. It's taking a little while, but I am working on the idea of consolidating a movement here, which is why I suggest you subscribe and also email me directly at bshapiro at dailywire.com. Give Lindsay some more mail to read. We have compiled a pretty massive email list of people who want to get involved in a movement. The best way to fight the left is not to shout Trump at them. It's not to shout Trump at them. And I'll tell you why in one second, why that's not the best way to fight the left. These people must be fought, and they must be fought tooth and claw. They must be fought hammer and tongs. There's no way not to fight them. The one thing I like about Trump is that he will fight them. The one problem I have with Trump, and this has been true from the very start, is that Donald Trump is not just an imperfect vessel. He is a broken vessel. So the same Donald Trump who is fighting the left does stuff like this. So... It came out, Donald Trump was asked, he's been saying for a long time that he gave a bunch of money to, um, to, the, to the veterans, right? You remember a few months ago, he was supposed to be part of a Fox News debate with Megyn Kelly. He copped out on it, and then he did his, money, his, his event to raise money for the veterans, and he invited Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum and all the rest of the loser crew. And he goes there, and he supposedly raises $6 million. And people have been asking ever since, well, where did that $6 million go? Like, can you show us proof that it actually went to veterans charities? Well, as one Washington Post reporter, you know, Trump said he had pledged a million dollars to a veterans charity. This one Washington Post reporter stayed on it, doggedly stayed on it, stayed on it. And finally, this week, this week, like three months after this happened, Trump finally was shamed into signing a $1 million check to the veterans. Right After saying for months that he signed a million dollar check to the veterans, he finally had to do it. So what happened? Trump lashed out at the reporter. Right, The reporter was the bad guys. Here is a Washington Post reporter. Trump on stage had said, I gave, I, I gave, past tense, a million dollars of my own money to help veterans. And we found no sign of it anywhere. Nobody that we talked to that had gotten donations out of this effort had gotten them from Trump. Uh, Trump wrote a couple of sort of angry, critical tweets about our reporting, called it dishonest, disgraceful. At the same time last night, Trump actually called up somebody, a, a charity uh, that he had actually donated to before, and in one fell swoop gave a million dollars. One call, one million dollars to one charity. So it turned out that for almost four months, when Trump had said he'd given his million, even as late as Friday when his campaign said, yes, he's definitely given the money away, he hadn't actually given anything away. It was only our questions, our my tweets, my, my efforts to pressure Trump uh, that seemed to have produced this, uh, this gift. Now, I asked Trump today when he called 
are you sure you didn't give the money now because we were asking about it? And uh, Trump called me a nasty guy. He said, you're a very nasty guy. <laughs> I had no obligation to do anything or to do so, and I get nothing but bad press from the dishonest media. Trump's campaign has promised to distribute the remaining money, however much they raise, 5.5 million, 4.56, whatever the remainder is that hasn't been given away. And I found about 3.1 million that's already been given away, now 4.1 million with Trump. Um, whatever that remainder is, is going to be given out to groups between now and Memorial Day, which is Monday. Um, so we'll be watching to see if those donations actually go out. And then from the amount of money actually given out, maybe we'll then have a sense of truly how much money okay. Trump raised. So, so, so we, they had to pry the money out of Trump's grubby little hands, right? So this is, this is why I say, like, you want to protest these, these bad people? Do it by all means, but find somebody who's a better vessel than Trump. Because when you sign up for Trump, you're signing up for Trump, along with all that entails. I mean, you look at that video of him, and he's complaining about, he's a nasty guy for asking me to actually turn over, I didn't have any obligation to turn over that money. You've been lying for months that you already did. So you did a little bit. And when you tell the veterans you're going to give them a million dollars, and then you jack the veterans, yeah, you sort of have a moral obligation not to jack the veterans. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the truth. Same thing with Trump and Paul Ryan. So last night, breaking news, Paul Ryan was going to endorse Trump. This was reported by Bloomberg and NBC News and ABC News. is picked up everywhere. The Trump campaign says Speaker Ryan regrets his rift with Donald Trump and wants to make up with Trump and endorse Trump. So this goes up over the wires. This morning, Speaker Ryan comes out. He says, I never said any of that. I don't regret any rift with Trump. I'm not endorsing Trump. I have no plans to endorse Trump right now. So Trump just made it up and distributed it out there. All right? This is the vessel. Okay, you can, pe you can have a better vessel than this. Be your own vessel, for God's sake. You don't always need a vessel either. You can be your own vessel. You're part of a movement. I'm here with you, okay? You don't need somebody to be your front man. And if you are going to pick a front man, it doesn't have to look like Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who, who yesterday was doing his routine about Vince Foster that we talked about, how Vince Foster didn't commit suicide. He was murdered by the Clintons, but he doesn't know enough about it to comment on it, but he sort of does, and so he sort of thinks it happened, but he sort of doesn't, and he's not really saying about it. But if he were, he would say that Vince Foster was killed by the Clintons, right? Katrina Pearson, who is his is less than stellar spokeswoman, was on CNN with Wolf Blitzer, and she was asked about this. This is the person who you're picking. Is your This is your rebuttal to the left. Your rebuttal to the left is this. I was the White House correspondent for CNN in 1993, 1990. I remember all of that very vividly. It was a sad, sad moment uh, for everyone involved, especially Vince Foster's family. And now for the the Republican presidential uh, presumptive nominee to revive all of that at this stage, that seems beneath uh, Donald Trump. Well, no, he made a, an observation. He says, I don't know enough about that to make an observation. But however, do you, does Donald however, Trump believe he committed suicide? He said he didn't know enough about the information. I'm sure he will learn enough about the information if he's asked again. But he simply said he didn't know to make that judgment. Because there were all, you yourself now. said there were five investigations, all exactly. of which concluded he committed suicide. But you can also look at the Daily Mail in 2008. I mean, what else does he the need to know besides, besides unsubstantiated? Everyone concluded it was suicide. Yes, you're right. So we Donald should Trump should know that, right? Should believe everything the media and the government uh, says. Mr. Trump simply said... He did not have enough so you believe in that to make that judgment. Katrina, you believe in that conspiracy theory? I haven't read enough about it. I have the same response that Mr. Trump has. I don't know enough about it to draw a conclusion. Uh, you break it, you bought it, gang. And, and you broke the Republican Party, and, and you bought this. And so this is, if, if you choose Trump as your vessel, this is what you get. And you're going to be in league with people like Alex Jones. So Alex Jones is a full-on conspiracy theory nutcase. Uh, and Alex Jones is uh, he's a screaming, he's a screaming insane person. And, and, and so he was ripping on... Glenn Beck, calling Glenn Beck the new American psycho. This guy 
has been a big Trump backer since the very start. And a lot of the conspiracy theories Trump parrots come courtesy of people like Alex Jones. Right here he is ripping Glenn Beck. And I go over this psycho look more and more. I see more and more guys on Fox News reporters that look like psychopaths. Just the perfect hair, the perfect little face, and the sociopathic look in their little loving eyes. Now there's that. Yeah, but let's show the American psycho when he's being friendly, when he's being nice, not when he's killing. And then let's 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 then cut to Glenn Beck and Mark Zuckerberg, and you just see the look because the eyes are like shark eyes. They're smiling, trying to look friendly, but it's an adapted face, just like a anglerfish. It looks like a pretty light, looks like a tasty, you know, glow in the dark plankton. And, and little fish things. Boy, I found a big old juicy plankton or a big old uh oh. But you see, you don't see in the dark. What, what is he talking about? Laying there, stalking the big black fish oh with God. the big long teeth and the little shark eyes. Because there's nothing behind them but the gates of hell come into the darkness. If you saw Zuckerberg right now, you'd understand what I'm talking about. Hello. There's another little Fred. Come to me. Come to me, my child. I have ice cream in the van, in the white van. I have candy. Puppy. Uh, so, now, Glenn Beck is a pedophile, according Puppies. to Alex Jones. Okay, Alex Jones. Puppies. Oh, I, can't, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. He's an insane person. And Alex Jones is the kind of person who's been ardently backing Donald Trump. So you're in the same van with that guy, right? That's the van that you are riding in down to the river where you will presumably live with Chris Farley if you listen to Alex Jones, okay? This is, this is the guy, Alex Jones is the guy who has accused the American government of being involved in the Oklahoma City bombing, the September 11th attacks, Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. He said it was a false flag to grab all the guns. He's a total nutcase. I mean, he's, he's, he's literally, he actually has said that Michelle Obama is a man. He's legitimately a crazy person, right? But this is the kind of person that you're siding with. Don't be that person, okay? Don't be that. Just because you think that the rioters in New Mexico are bad, which they are, be your own person. You don't have to be an Alex Jones Trumper. You don't have to do that. You don't have to say Donald Trump is my vehicle. The proper response to people screaming at you when you attend to, uh, when you when you when you're going to a political rally or or an event isn't Trump, 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 Trump. Okay, it just makes you a Trump. It just makes you a, a sad sack. It makes you it makes you a follower. Instead, why why shouldn't your response be be a human being, be a mensch, right? Just be a be a decent human being to these people. Actually, the the best thing. Uh, and this is this it was for things I like, but this was the best response. The, so Milo's event happens, and Milo didn't have uh, anything particularly great to to say because they shut him down. I mean, he couldn't say anything. But this one girl gets up, and this is great. She's she's a member of the College Republicans, and she grabs a mic and she starts lecturing the Black Lives Matter people who shut down the event. And here's what she had to say. This is this is the hero of the story right here. Madam, you want to come up? You want to come up?
be. Promises now. Because I believe in hard work and deciding that I need to make a life for myself. Makes me a racist, a bigot, and a white supremacist. Okay, so this is, like, this is what we need, okay? This is, be this person, right? Be this person, be this gal. This is a black girl who gets up on stage, and she's lecturing the Black Lives Matter people. Get a life, do something with your life. Your parents didn't raise you to be like this. She's not getting up there and just shouting Trump at these people. She's getting up there, and she's delivering a message. Do something with your life. Be her. Be her. Don't be the Trumpkin. Don't be the Make America Great person with the hat on who thinks that that's the ultimate response, right? That's not. It's not. Okay, it's trolling, and trolling is fun, but be that girl. Be that girl, because she's the one who's actually going to make a difference. She's the one who's going to be the future of the conservative movement and the future of the country. Be her if you're going to be anybody. Okay, a couple quick notes here. Hillary Clinton continues to be awful at, at legitimately everything on earth. I mean, she's just bad at everything. So Hillary Clinton was asked by Ellen DeGeneres about Donald Trump and his treatment of women. Listen to Hillary Clinton's answer. She's awful at everything there is to be awful at on planet Earth. It's incredible. She can't take a bowel movement without it being particularly awful. She's awful at everything. Here she is. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Yes. Um, he, I just recently heard him say that he, uh, he says he will be good for women. And what do you think of that? Well, I, I would need a lot more information based on uh, what I hear him say because he has been... Uh, very derogatory toward all kinds of women. He has specifically called out uh, women by name, insulted them. He has uh, said that equal pay isn't a real issue. He doesn't seem to you know, think that uh, we need to do anything to create more jobs and raise incomes. And a lot of women are helping to support their families, or maybe they're the only support. And he actually says wages are too high in America. So I, I'm sure there is somebody somewhere that he might be good for, mm -hmm. um, but I think overall uh, there's just oh. no evidence that he has an understanding of what oh uh, women's lives are like today. He's She's so, gonna be the nominee. Okay, I, can't, I, mean, I can't, I can't. She's so intensely boring. So first of all, she's sitting there dressed like President Snow from The Hunger Games. But second of all, she's, she's doing this routine where the answer to is Donald Trump, I mean, that's such a softball right over the heart of the plate from Ellen. You know, is Donald Trump good for women? The answer is no, of course Donald Trump isn't good for women. He disdains women. He speaks badly about women. He's, he's a guy who sees women as pieces of meat. He says that reporters, female reporters he doesn't like are bleeding from their wherever. He says that female candidates he doesn't like don't have a face for politics. He says that wives of the candidates he doesn't like are ugly. He's, he's vile toward women. He said women should be treated like crap, and he didn't use the word crap back in the 1980s. He's somebody who has been credibly accused of rape in court documents. Like, there, there's a thousand things she could say here that are interesting and thought-provoking and headline-making, which is really what this is about. There's a headline today that Hillary thinks that she's not going to be able to generate headlines. She knows Trump's going to dominate the media coverage. She just hopes Trump will lose the, the news cycle. If that's her strategy, she's toast. She's toast. And the only way she can think to make headlines is with absolute utter stupidity. So Ellen asks her about Beyonce's new album, Lemonade. And, uh... And, um, here's what it's, 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 well, again, I think we could do the one term second okay. term. I mean, all right, uh, because they both have a lot to contribute. Oh. 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 Yeah, yeah, I, 
I really believe in making lemonade out of lemons. Yep. Great. Yep. You're gonna stick, oh, stick with Beyonce. With so have you seen, this is from Taylor Smith, have you seen Lemonade and do you like it? I have seen parts of it, mm -hmm. and I do like it. Yeah, it's great, it is fantastic. It is fantastic. Okay, so they agree that lemonade is just fantastic, okay? The idea that Hillary Clinton has ever seen lemonade, okay? Hillary Clinton has a bunch of 1960s guitar soft rock on her, on her iPod. You know, that's the, the idea, like, she's sitting there, and she's listening to Beyonce, and she's doing the single ladies dance, Hillary Clinton. First of all, images no one needs in their head. But second of all, this is, this is how Hillary makes headlines, is because she's so hip. Okay, Hillary is so hip, she threw her hip out. Okay, the idea that Hillary, Hillary needs, an, she needs a hip replacement. So she's she's just terrible at this in every way. Okay, time for a thing I like, and then a quick thing that I hate because we're way past time. Okay, the thing that I like, we've been doing children's movies or kids movies that are appropriate for kids this week. Um, the brand new live action version of Cinderella is really just delightful. It's really glorious. It came out last year. Uh, Kenneth Branagh directed it, and it's it's beautifully done. And this is what the trailer looked like. that will see you through all the trials that life can offer. Have courage and be kind. She'll merely be your stepmother, and you'll have two lovely sisters to keep you company. So I'll know as far away as I may be that you'll be safe. Wouldn't you prefer to eat when all the work is done, Ella? Yes, stepmother. Oh, you needn't call me that. Madam will do. Cinderwench. Dirty Ella. <laughs> Cinderella! <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you all right? Miss, what do they call you? Never mind what they call me. I'm sorry. It's not your doing. Nor yours either, I'll bet. I hope to see you again, miss. And I you. Ella, you have more kindness in your little finger than most people possess in their whole body. Okay, the movie's it's, it's great. It's, it's really a delightful film. It's, it's really cool because they, they, they did some of these things shot for shot for the animated film, so there's some shots in here where you can actually compare the two side by side, and it's really, really neat. The acting is really top-notch. Um, it's good to know that, that after they murdered Rob in, in, uh, in Game of Thrones that he comes back as the prince in this, so he's still alive. He just has a different, <laughs> he just has a different life, so he's still around without the wolf head attached to his, his neck, so that's exciting. Um, but the, but the, the film itself really is delightful, and they added a whole kind of subplot uh, on the prince's side about the prince and his father, who's played by Derek Jacobi, that's really moving. It's, 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 a, it's a moving film. It's, it's a really, really good film. Okay, so you can check that out, and it is totally child-appropriate. It's great. Okay, quick thing that I hate. Um, so Alan Dershowitz, I don't hate what Dershowitz says here. I think what Dershowitz says is exactly right. He was talking about what happened in Baltimore yesterday, and we played yesterday to Ray McKesson on Megyn Kelly talking about how the the trial in Baltimore that ended with the acquittal of the officer, Officer Nero, how that was terrible. Ray McKesson said it was awful, awful, awful. Here is Alan Dershowitz, who is a, who is a lefty, talking about the, the tendency of the left to try and use the criminal justice system to solve racial problems. These are officers who, you know, may have made a mistake, uh, but they are not guilty of criminal conduct. What she tried to do is stop the mob. I understand that, but you don't use the criminal justice system to solve racial problems. And she's a symptom of a larger problem. Black Lives Matter is endangering the fairness of our legal system because mm -hmm. they're rooting for outcomes based on race. Mm -hmm. Started a long time ago. Started with the O.J. Simpson case. When you know what they do about this. African-Americans wanted an acquittal 
without regard to the evidence. Now many want convictions without regard to the evidence. We cannot allow our justice system to be turned into a kind of racial categorization and where that, people root for our We're seeing Okay, and he's right, of course. He was part of the problem, right? I mean, he was the guy who was, who was helping play the race card in the OJ case. But he's totally right. And the problem is that the left doesn't care about that because in the end, the left wants its 1960s flashback. They want it desperately. And if they don't get it, they're going to force it with hiring people for chaos and generating violence. And all that's going to generate is on the other side a tendency to move toward the strongest guy in the room, and that is Donald Trump. So that's, that's what the left is doing, and that's why we're on the brink of something that's pretty negative anyway. You slice it. Final note, again, be the person who stands up for principle, not the person who responds by finding the strongest guy in the room. You be the strongest person in the room. It's up to you. It's not up to some leader. It's not up to some big man. It's up to you. It's up to you to stand up. It's up to you to say no. It's up to you to inform people that the principles for which they're standing are wrong and why they're wrong and why they need to make their own lives better. And by leaving you alone, they're going to make everyone's life better. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll see you tomorrow with the mailbag. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.